0: It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic
1: conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might
0: get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Since this episode is being released just a few days before Halloween. I thought it'd be interesting to touch upon that briefly today. And I'm curious, Jason, do you celebrate Halloween in any way? Are you going to this year, if not normally? have you Has that even come up in your head at all <laughs> as you look forward to the end of October?
1: Yeah, for sure it has. I love it. It's one of my favorite holidays because of the creativity the childlike wonder and the spirit of it. I love Halloween. And, you know, it's interesting. I was hanging out with our mutual friend, Ross, a week ago at the time of this recording. And he was like, so what are you going to do for Halloween? And we were debating whether or not the West Hollywood Halloween parade is going to take place, obviously, with the backdrop of COVID and the rise of cases in California, everything that's going on in our society right now with that. And he was like, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's officially going to happen. But knowing people, human beings as they are, I wouldn't be surprised if a few people or more than a few people, you know, if people just started to take to the streets of West Hollywood unofficially. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with that at this moment, simply because I don't know how well people would be integrating masks or social distancing. And if a few thousand people show up, I think I'm going to skip that part. I love the West Hollywood parade. I've, I've done it three times and I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things to do in LA every year. But I think instead, Whitney... There are a couple of options in Los Angeles for drive-in movies. And there's one in particular, I think it's called The Undance. It's a former, I guess, Hollywood club that Led Zeppelin and a lot of old bands used to go to back in the day. And I think they've converted their parking lot or a part of their property to do drive-in movies. And this entire month of October, they've been doing classic horror films. And I know we had a whole episode about the negative impressions and mental impressions taken away from horror movies. But I do like me some classic horror movies, Bella Lugosi, Frankenstein, old vampire movies. Uh, one of my favorites is the original Nosferatu from Fritz Lang. So I love classic horror movies. So I'm thinking that probably uh, I'll jump in the car with Laura and we'll go see an outdoor drive-in movie. I think that's the plan. And she doesn't know that yet. So if she's listening to the podcast, I just screwed up the surprise.
0: <laughs> Tell her not to listen to this episode. Well, I just checked and according to the West Hollywood's website, the carnival is in fact canceled for this year. And it's interesting hearing you talk about that because I felt like the Black Lives Matter marches that were happening in West Hollywood kind of reminded me of the Halloween carnival. And that was at the height of COVID. I mean, relatively, I suppose we don't know when COVID is going to be over and thus what exactly the height will be. But that was in early June 2020. And I participated in some of those marches because I felt like it was really important and just to be out there as an ally and also as of curiosity. But I remember attending those and Enjoying that experience of being around a lot of people and everybody's holding signs and walking through these same streets that they walk through during carnival. So it was very reminiscent. And yet, looking back and given what you just said, Jason, it's like, was that the wisest choice to make? (laughs) You know, to your point, you're really close to people. And I remember thinking about that throughout that experience. And I think looking back in June, a lot of people were just eager for the physical distancing to be over. And there's kind of this mentality of like, oh, we've been staying inside long enough. We've been wearing our masks long enough and maybe things are slowing down. So I, I don't remember exactly. Maybe, maybe COVID felt at that time like it was less serious or something Or it was just that feeling of being frustrated staying inside for several months and kind of wanting to rebel against that or giving this priority to support the Black Lives Matter movement, which of course is so important. And now here we are thinking like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing stuff like that. And I guess I could take or leave going to the carnival. I I too have been to it many times. In fact, my very first year of living in Los Angeles, which was 2004, I think. I went to that and I had no idea what I was in for. And then uh, I had some friends that lived in West Hollywood and I would park at their place and go with them. So it actually has been a big part of my experience in Los Angeles. But I've never been that big of a Halloween fan we have done some episodes on other podcasts, such as the Food Heals podcast with our friend Allison Melody, talking about Halloween. So we can link to those in the show notes of this episode at WellEvator.com. If you haven't visited our website, it is spelled W E L L E V A T R.com. And I think it's actually linked right in the description of this episode. So, you can just tap on that link and go to their website and read the show notes and see all the resources, anything that we referenced today. And we're not going to dig that far into this. It was just kind of a, a surface level, but also a transitionary subject matter. This idea of yearning for what we used to have and how we're operating this year with the holidays, I think is really interesting, especially for me. And perhaps you're thinking the same thing, Jason, as currently as of the time of recording this, we're both visiting our families. And I've been here for over a month now, mostly at my parents' house. And it feels really nice, despite any you know, common challenges that I have <laughs> being around my parents a lot frequently. There's something very soothing and comforting about being here. And it's crossed my mind a couple times like whether or not I should stay for Thanksgiving, which seems like a big stretch because my plan was to leave here at the end of October, probably around the time that this episode comes out. And that's currently what I'm aiming for. And then I'm thinking like, gosh, I'll be driving across the country during Halloween and there was this feeling within me, A, am I missing out? of Halloween experiences if I'm by myself, because it looks likely that I'll be doing the drive back to Los Angeles on my own, but who knows. And that feeling of like, am I going to miss out on Halloween if I'm just like in some random state or some random city camping overnight on my way back and thinking like, should I postpone my trip? But what am I going to do in in <laughs> this part of Massachusetts? My parents certainly aren't excited about celebrating Halloween. So it doesn't really matter. But then this other thought of, should I extend my trip much longer and stay for Thanksgiving? And what would that even feel like? You know, Is it even worth it, given that Thanksgiving is going to be very different this year? And I think especially that holiday, I guess it depends on what you celebrate. If you celebrate Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or any of these classic winter holidays that we have, which generally involve family getting together. And over the years, I've kind of alternated between visiting my family during Christmas is very common for me, or sometimes Thanksgiving and sometimes neither. And that kind of feeling I have of sadness when I'm not with my family on one of those holidays, which feel important to me because they're so family-oriented. And then thinking about if I'm even here for Thanksgiving, very unlikely I'll be here for Christmas due to my timeline. But what would that even be like? It feel like, you know, like is it just going to be me, my parents and my sister? Like that sounds nice, but we could do that any time of year, you know? And is it really important for me to be with them? But there's like this nostalgia, I suppose, of Or, this tradition that many of us have in our heads about being with our families on these holidays or celebrating with our friends on occasions like Halloween and how everything is so different now and how much do we put ourselves at risk during those times. And so, I'm kind of curious how you're feeling about that, Jason. Has it crossed your mind at all? Like, do you think that you would go back to Detroit to see your mom, even though you're there now in October? Would it even make sense for you to fly out? and see her or have her come to see you and given more exposure and are more people going to be flying during those days. It's so, there's so many factors involved. So I'm curious where your head's at.
1: Yeah, I've definitely kind of debated what the best option is going to be. You know, I'm here now for almost two weeks and we've talked about having my mom come out for The holidays for Christmas specifically, she, for the past few years and throughout the time that I've been almost 14 years in LA has come out for the holidays. And it's a question of, okay, you know, what are the precautions to take on the flight? What kind of interactions are we going to have when she's in town? I've mentioned my mentor, Michael, who is like a father figure to me. He actually told me before I left for Detroit that he and his partner, Kevin, are planning on just having a, a small, small gathering at their house in LA. And they have an outdoor patio, pretty spacious outdoor patio. So I think they're planning on having Christmas dinner out on their deck. So, you know, they have the desire to have a few people. It's always a pretty small gathering. So, you know, for me, I definitely feel that the tradition. And the pull to spend the winter holidays with people that I deeply love is a very strong compulsion. I remember in the years when I moved out West, when I first moved to LA, I didn't really go back home for the holidays and it was really lonely. There's been quite a few, you know, what I would characterize lonely holidays and I don't really like to do that. You know, I know some people like to spend the holidays in solitude, which I think that that's a fine choice. For me though, I feel like the the pull of tradition, as you mentioned, Whitney, and just the desire to be with people I really care about in that time of year, maybe it's a hibernation thing. Maybe it's conditioning because that's was something that was very celebrated in my family my entire life, in particular, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Halloween too. My mom actually, back in the day, would hand make my Halloween costumes. We had some really amazing costumes because my mom was really good with a sewing machine. So as an aside, yeah, we're talking about having her come out for Christmas. I'm here now pre-Halloween also because I think October is the absolute most gorgeous month in Michigan. All the leaves are changing. There's purples and deep reds and mahoganies and oranges and yellows. And just taking a leisurely drive down any block here in the Detroit area is absolutely stunning. So I did want to time it to be here for two weeks in October because to me, it's hands down the best month to be in Michigan is October. So I'm 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 stoked to be here and hopefully going to get mom out for December to do Christmas in LA.
0: In terms of feeling safe enough to do that. I mean, that to me is like the big question here. You know, you traveled out to Detroit and said that your flight experience was really great and you felt like the air filter was air filtration, I should say, it was better than it has been in the past and and you felt very comfortable doing it. And I there's still part of me that just does not feel safe flying personally. And I know you've done it a few times, Jason, but I think this what makes me feel uncomfortable is that the holidays especially i think people are going to be letting their guards down more because it feels so important and people feel so comfortable now because time has passed and they feel like they've been okay there's just like a gut feeling i have that it it seems really really risky and i think i feel especially protective over anyone over 60 or so who is more susceptible to covid or Or perhaps if they get COVID, it could cause greater damage to them. And I don't know, I I personally would not feel comfortable with my parents flying out to see me in Los Angeles, which is this big city and them leaving from the international airport in Boston. That just makes me nervous. So I wouldn't make that choice, but my parents don't usually come out to visit me for Christmas. Actually, I don't think that they ever have, so it didn't even really feel like an option to me. And I don't think that I would feel comfortable flying from Los Angeles to Boston during the holiday, the you know, Christmas time period.
1: Yeah, for me, you know, this is, I think, part of an ongoing conversation that needs to be addressed. I don't know that we've ever actually discussed it in terms of how we're handling our safety and, and the risk reward ratio. You know, I, I feel for me, first of all, with the flights that I've done, I did one to Denver and back to LA for a gig. I had a work trip there. And then also coming out here to October right now to see my mom and my family and my friends here in in the Detroit area. And I was, you know, well aware of the potential risks, right. Of getting on a plane. But for me, it was a calculation mentally of a risk reward quotient, honestly. So in terms of, I guess, the research that I did, it was looking at Delta. That's who I fly with. I have my miles with Delta. They're kind of my chosen carrier because of all the miles I have with them. They have a, a policy where they are, I think, through, I don't know if it's the beginning or the end of January, where they are mandatory, mandatorily keeping all of the middle seats empty on all their flights. So that was one thing. I thought that's good. They're practicing distancing. Not all airlines are. And then I read about the technology you mentioned about the advanced filtration systems they're using. And interestingly, I feel like in the past when I would get on flights, I'm just very, very sensitive and I could always smell a little bit of like jet fuel or exhaust or there's kind of funky smells on the plane. you know. And the past two flights to Denver and out of Detroit, the air is incredibly clean on the plane. There's no scent of the jet fuel or the exhaust or any kind of the funky environmental sense. So whatever they're doing in terms of the f- their filtration seems to be working, uh, at least from this schnoz's perspective. And the other thing too, Whitney, you know, the, the macro part of this conversation I would like to dig into is we as human beings, I think, are always calculating to some degree a risk reward ratio in our minds when we engage in things, whether that's investing in stocks or choosing a new healthcare plan, or in this case, choosing to travel or not travel during COVID. And I know some people, I have some friends in Portland that are like, yeah, I I have barely been out of the house in the last seven months. Like they're very adamant about that. And I respect that. You know, that's their choice. And and based on the research and their gut feeling, they want to limit their outside exposure as much as possible. For me, though, in these two scenarios, right, the possibility that I'm putting myself at risk. So I'm going to wear a mask vigilantly. I have a pretty cool mask actually from Lambs. I want to give a shout out to that brand really quickly. We were introduced by our friend Luke Story, who was an amazing guest on the podcast, one of our One of my favorite episodes we've had yet, we'll link to that episodes in the show notes at wellevator.com. So I have this silver threaded infused lambs mask that you can actually get particle filters, reusable particle filters and put them in the mask. So I got my opinion, one of the best masks out there. I bring colloidal silver. I bring my hand sanitizer. I bring thieves oil. I bring a lot of sort of Protectionary measures when I do go traveling and go to the airport or the plane. So, for me, you know, flying to Denver to make money was worth the risk. Coming home to see my mom and, you know, being with her, I haven't seen her in in almost a year, was worth the risk. And as an aside, I actually went and got a COVID test when I came here and the results came back negative. So, I am doing my due diligence with that. But I guess it just goes back Whit, to, as an individual, depending on our perspectives, we are always kind of calculating a risk-reward ratio, right? And especially with this situation. So I guess for you, is it just that you don't feel like the potential risk of flying is worth the reward of of getting back to LA quicker? Is that what it is for you? You just kind of calculate that mentally for yourself?
0: I mean, as we discussed in the episode before I took my cross-country trip, It certainly there are risks... Driving across the country as well. You know, for me, though, I made that decision to give myself some flexibility and to experience the country, which was really interesting to do. And I felt very safe because I didn't have that much interaction with people, at least not any more than I normally would, like going to the grocery store and doing some of the things that I had been doing in Los Angeles, anyways. But, you know, certainly. Going to the bathroom, for example, as we talked about in our episode with Leanne after the trip, you know, just like you would go to the bathroom in an airport and on an airplane, I was doing that throughout the trip. However, this would be really interesting. I don't know if anybody has done the tried to like look at the chances of getting COVID flying versus driving. You know, if I looked at the bathrooms that I used, for example, I have a feeling that the bathrooms I chose to use barely got that many people going in them versus an airport. I'm sure you're having hundreds of people every hour. So you're going into a bathroom that's probably been used, I mean, I, I don't even know, I'm probably lowballing it. you know <laughs> like if you're using the public bathroom at an airport, there's a lot of people in and out of there constantly. And then when you're on an airplane with hundreds of people, you're sitting in there with the circulated air, even if it's filtered. And then if you're using the bathroom there, there's probably been, you know, at least fifty or so of them in that in the bathroom at the time of your flight. Whereas I think some of the bathrooms I use, maybe only a couple people were in there each day. So it'd be interesting to see like, you know, you're also gonna replicate (laughs) as I'm doing the math in my head, like I probably used five to 10 bathrooms on my trip. So if there was only a couple people in there, I'm still getting exposed to five to 10 times that throughout the trip. So it's interesting just to look at all of the math that you could do. And of course, getting your COVID test for both you and I, Jason, we didn't get COVID from our trip. But just because we didn't get it doesn't mean that nobody could get COVID flying or driving however you're choosing to travel. And, you know, I, again, I'm not going to go into all the details of why I decided to drive across country because we already talked about that in another episode. So if you, the listener, are curious about my decision and the before and after experience, can listen to those previous episodes, which we will link to at com. And, you know, it's an ongoing thing. And this is something that we've discussed a lot is... I can look back on my behavior back in June, as I discussed during the Black Lives Matter marches, which I kind of equate to the carnival. And I guess the big difference there is not only the time that's passed and how my mentality has changed since June, but participating in Black Lives Matter felt like there was a purpose beyond myself versus participating in Halloween carnivals. like It's just purely for pleasure. So it's a different decision. And then in terms of being with family, we have to really be mindful of how we're impacting them and and what our parents or other family members' boundaries are. You know, my parents are pretty laid back. They they've been careful, but when I got here to Massachusetts, they didn't see the need for me to like constantly be wearing a mask until I got my test results and they were totally cool with me being in the house right away versus I really wanted to quarantine. And that made me nervous, I suppose. I'm like, God, and my sister too. My sister is super laid back about COVID in general. And so each of them are kind of dealing with it in their own way, which feels like their personal choice. But I guess it just feels tricky because why are, how are we making these choices is the big question. And when we're traveling, whenever we're in a group of people, we're surrounded by people that have all made choices based on different pieces of information, you know? And that I think is the biggest challenge of COVID is that we're all getting it from different sources, you know what I mean? Like even if it's the same source, like let's say for example, you watch CNN. Well, are you watching the exact same program as somebody else or is a different program on you know, on the same channel but it could be a different speaker? Are you watching the same information as someone else unless everybody's consuming the exact same information all the time, we're all going to have different sources. And then each of us interpret that information in different ways based on our experiences and our knowledge, our education. And so that I think is what ultimately makes me uncomfortable about COVID is that there's kind of this feeling of oh, let everybody decide what they feel comfortable with. But like on an airplane, for example, what makes me nervous about that is you're sitting in a small area with hundreds of people and everybody's making their own decisions and people can easily lie about what they've been doing. You know, oh yeah, I've been safe. Like that's kind of like the only thing that we tend to ask people, like, have you been wearing a mask? Sure. But what does that even mean? Like what type of mask have you been wearing? And, what surfaces have you been touching and on and on? And lastly, I think back into last year, almost exactly a year ago, when I came out to the East Coast for the last, uh, you know, the previous time. And I got really sick after that trip. And I remember thinking, how did I get sick? First of all, I thought my immune system was in great shape. I had been taking really good care of my body, you know, eating very mindfully i was i think still doing vegan keto at the time and you know just feeling like i was putting all these high quality ingredients in my body and i got on the airplane at that time you know back in 2019 it feels like a different lifetime i had my hand sanitizer and i had my i was wiping down surfaces which is a relatively new thing i was doing while traveling and i had my own water bottle that was filtered with life straw shout out to them it's a brand i love and what else was I doing? I had like various supplements that I would take. I mean, I just at that time felt like I was being ultra careful and I got really sick after that trip. So I'm actually one of the sickest I've been in recent memory. And that was supposedly before COVID was in, in the United States. And so I guess like my big point, Jason, and so just food for thought is. If that's the typical extreme, I feel like most people are doing the bare minimum. It's like, okay, we're wearing a mask because we have to, or we're quote, standing six feet away, but whoever actually measures the distance that we are, (laughs) you know, and what are people doing beyond that time that you see them? And maybe this goes down to like me feeling a little untrustworthy of other people, which is a common mentality for me is like I just, through observing other people, just don't really trust others to be taking the best care of themselves. I think a lot of people have this idea that they're taking better care of themselves and they're being more mindful than they actually are. And a lot of us I mean, this can be true of the way that you eat. It's like when people say, oh, well, I don't eat that much meat. I don't eat that much dairy. And if you're vegan, you notice every time somebody eats meat or dairy, right? And I remember like so many experiences in my life of people saying that to me. But if I spent enough time around them, I'd see them eating meat at least once a day. And I'm like, so you think that eating meat seven times a week is not a lot? You know, but in their heads, they think that's not a lot because maybe they equate eating a lot with eating meat three times a day. You know what I mean? So I guess that's the long winded answer to I think the reason I feel the need to be really careful is that we have no idea how long COVID is going to be around. We're being fed all sorts of different information. Even our president is telling us a lot of confusing things, and we're, he's supposed to be someone that's guiding our whole country. There are reports now that COVID could be an issue up until 2024. So we just might be scratching the surface of COVID. And if we're not really, really careful about this, and we're not all on the same page, like this, this could be going on for years to come. And maybe your feeling is, Jason, like how long do we, how much do we allow this to our, affect our decisions when it comes to spending time with family? I think that's part of the reason I've spent so long out here with my family is I don't know what I'm going to see them next. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that's what influenced you to go to Detroit, Jason, is like, we never know how long we have with our family members ever, but COVID could take another major turn and travel might become really hard for us with all these things in mind. We just have no, no idea.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, it's interesting. We're talking about relative assessments. In terms of people's minds of how "quote" good they're doing, you know that's a really interesting thing. Not just in terms of COVID, but you mentioned healthy eating or exercising, or oh yeah, I'm a a healthy person. And I think that it's a really relative assessment sometimes of, you know, compared to what healthy compared to what rich compared to what safe compared to what. It's our viewpoints of who we are and how we operate in the world are. It's easy to skew those realities, right? Because again. We're, we're talking about a comparative thing here, you know if 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 on the one side of this conversation, you know, quote, "doing it bad, not to be in judgment would be you know eating a ton of processed food, eating a lot of artificial ingredients, eating a lot of fried foods, a ton of alcohol, a ton of smoking. you know, we're probably setting up our body's internal terrain to be more susceptible to something like COVID or COVID itself. I'm not going on record because I'm not a medical expert, but as an aside, I really do believe in the terrain theory. And the terrain theory, if I can geek out for just a second, because I think it's related to this conversation, is your body's terrain, your internal bio terrain, whether that's the health of your blood, the health of your organs, the amount of probiotics and positive flora in your gut, your neurochemicals, think about it as the internal ecosystem of your body that the more that that is operating like a well-oiled machine, to use a, a kind of tired cliche, the better chance that you have to ward off things like bacteria and viruses and pathogens. We, we know that, at least according to the terrain theory. So my whole thing, Whitney, is I, I'm constantly wanting to know, again, because the research and the information is always changing and what can we believe is actually true, but I hedge my bets to think that if I eat really clean food, if I'm taking a lot of vitamin C, D3, K2, my B-complex, my zinc, my stuff that, as far as I've researched, looks like it is beneficial to ward off things like viruses and pathogens, that I'm setting up my internal bio-terrain to hopefully fight or protect those things off, right? But to your point, A lot of people are not aware of those things because that information is not really being disseminated through mainstream media. When we look at things like CNN or LA Times or Washington Post or, you know, name a major media outlet, they're not like, hey, protect your internal bioterrain by taking these supplements or eating this way or eating less crap. It's very, very minimal in terms of precautions we could take to protect ourselves. But I think overall, you know, we talk about this conversation that we started with the importance of being with family and being with people we love. You know, one of the hardest aspects for me and for a lot of people, I think, is the feeling of being distanced and isolated physically from the people we love. It's a hard thing, right? Because on the one hand, you don't want to unnecessarily or potentially put someone at risk. You know, my mom is in her 70s, my mentor Michael's in his 70s. I understand that um, they're both healthy, but the risk factor increases exponentially at a certain age, but I want to see them. So I've been seeing Michael and we take our precautions with hand sanitizer and social distancing and masks. And same here with my mom. That's why I got a COVID test. I don't think I have a definitive answer of telling the listener of what's right or wrong. We never do that here on the podcast. We're just sharing our perspectives and our practices. If they resonate with you, great. If they don't, great. But I think for me, Whitney, it's it's this thing of like the mental stress of not seeing my mom for an entire year or God knows how long was worth, the, again, the risk of me getting on a plane, coming here, getting a COVID test, seeing her. And, all, and also the other thing too is, Whit, I think this is important. You talked about how your parents have been responding. I think the communication around this is so important in the sense that if you're going to see a loved one, if you're going to see a friend, having a really open conversation ahead of time about how they feel safe, what is their level of comfort with the interaction, And what kind of precautions are they taking or have they been taking in their lives, right? So I think as an aside, this situation with COVID has created an opportunity to have even better communication about boundaries and safety and comfort with the people that we love, you know? So that's one thing I made sure to do before I came out here was like, hey, what have you been doing, mom? How have you been living? What's your level of comfort? Do you want me to get a COVID test? We went through a whole kind of, I don't know, a series of questions before I came just to make sure we were doing the best we could
0: and i think that is ultimately what it comes down to is we're all hopefully doing the best that we can but even that phrase like <laughs> it's so relative to everybody you know and fingers crossed like what our personal best is is what ultimately keeps us in the safety you know and i i think that i often look at it as like what are the consequences what are the potential downfalls to something and on my road trip I felt vulnerable a lot of times especially when I was traveling with Leanne you know and we had so many conversations about covid but there were moments where I started to question are we really on the same page or are we just saying we're on the same page because that makes us feel comfortable socially I think this has come up a number of times throughout the podcast is like how do you know when what the truth is, what the reality is, when you're interacting with other people who view life completely differently, and, and communication is such an interesting thing. Like w- we can think that we're being really good communicators and be completely misunderstood because somebody has a different definition of the exact words that you're saying, and that makes me feel very vulnerable at times. And I noticed on on that trip, I had to work on my trust, as I mentioned. For whatever reason, I have some deep-seated fears of trusting other people. I think I've had some notable experiences in my life where I felt like I wasn't on the same page with people and that had consequences or you know I thought I could trust somebody and maybe I felt let down by them or abandoned by them and on and on there's there's a lot for me to explore there and it's it's going to take a while for me to understand that but noticing that in the case of COVID has been really fascinating and I noticed how fearful I was about coming back And potentially exposing my parents or my sister or other friends. And I also have noticed the times where I got really lenient. You know, Leanne called me out at one point when we met up with my friend Rachel in Sioux Falls. We got to this location that we were meeting her later than planned. It was already dark at that point and our whole schedule is behind. And we decided to meet at this market. The original plan was to eat outside. But because of how late it was and how cold it was outside and dark, we decided to eat inside the market's cafeteria. And it seemed fine, right? Of course, we're sitting down at a surface. We don't know who sat there before us. And we're inside. And we kept our masks on as best as possible. We are eating some food and sitting across like a you know, a few feet from each other, but it wasn't an exact six feet. And I remember looking back on that experience, thinking in that moment, it felt like it was okay. But then in hindsight, I wondered, was it good enough? You know, and luckily it was fine. Neither Leanne or I got COVID. Um, but there's all those little moments. And I've noticed that throughout COVID, how we're told the ideal situation of what we should be doing, but many of us are taking risks. Whether we're going to the grocery store or we're interacting with other people, and what are our masks like? How much do they actually protect us? Like, you know, some people put on a mask simply because that's the rule, but the mask is like super thin, (laughs) or in some outrageous cases, some people have literally worn like fishnet stockings on their face, which are clearly not protecting you because they have holes in them, but people will do that just to like. Say, hey, well, technically it's a mask because it's covering my face, right? Like there's all these little decisions we can make that maybe fall into the rules, but really aren't doing much. And I'm just kind of fascinated by that all. And this conversation also leads me into something else that I came across that I was really fascinated by. And it's on this great website called Forge, which is part of medium.com. It's a really wonderful website if you've never checked it out before. And of course, we will link to that in the show notes of this episode at WellEvator.com, which once again is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And this article caught my eye. It's called, Do You Have, Quote, Zoom Fatigue, or Is It Existentially Crushing to Pretend Life is Normal as the World Burns? I feel like you would have clicked on this article in a heartbeat, Jason. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's the kind of article that I would click on. It's interesting you bring this up about the existential side of this because last night right before bed, for better or for worse, my mom pulled up an article about the existential crisis that may come as we increase our technology with uh, artificial intelligence. We've talked about AI in previous episodes. We've pontificated on this with A lot of the stuff that Elon Musk and other tech entrepreneurs have talked about with AI, but the existential part of this, Whitney, just it's so funny you bring that up because last night it talked about how if a a world government were to suddenly make a quantum leap in AI technology, that it could be it could be leveraged as sort of a super weapon that if the AI was advanced enough to outsmart and outcalculate any other humans or any other government, that there could be a totalitarian regime that would be the likes of which we've never seen in human history. And it was pretty dark. It was pretty dark. I, I don't like to necessarily indulge too much in these kind of articles. I think for me, this brings up the idea of being aware of a potential, quote, worst case scenario, but not fixating on it and allowing the fear and the dread to rule your life. Some people may completely disagree with me on this, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I think healthy disagreement is good. But what I'm trying to do with, I think, is, is a balancing act between being precautionary and mindful and proactive, but not allow fear and projection of fear to the future and this existential dread we were kind of talking about to manipulate my decisions so that all my decisions are based out of fear. I think that there's, there's a practice, right, of being mindful and precautionary and careful, but not letting fear make all your decisions. Because I tend to, if I let myself, I'll go to dark places really quickly and dwell there. So I've had to be really careful over the course of this pandemic to not let, let myself like drown in anxiety, fear, and this kind of existential angst about what may or may not happen. You know, it's a tough thing. I'm curious because i you you haven't told me you've necessarily gone to like any dark places or like been stewing an existential fear around things, but maybe you have more than you've let on. I don't know how how have you been feeling about this kind of doomsday talk?
0: Well, I don't really think about it that much in in terms of going down those dark paths. I think I tend when I get anxious, it tends to be around the short term like a lot of my anxiety is like okay do i have enough money to pay my bills next week <laughs> you know like i think i'm usually focused on things like that just like you jason i get a lot of that tension around money and and also the past like did i make a bad decision in the past and how's that affecting me in in the present and in the future and in general that that's where i get tension it's like the finances of it. So I suppose if there's any fear about the future and something related to the pandemic, it's like, is my job going to be taken away? Uh, luckily, I've been pretty blessed during the pandemic to have work, and I've taken on clients. And I think because of the work that we do collectively and individually, it is thing is something that people tend to need and want to spend money on, which is marketing a huge part of of each of our roles with WellEvator and in our individual endeavors. It centers around marketing. A lot of people need that. I mean, that's how in a capitalist society, we make money. So helping other people make money. And luckily, that's something that we are each skilled at. But sometimes I, I think about marketing from an existential perspective of like, as I talked about in the social dilemma episode and other episodes that have centered around social media, I, I sometimes get in this mindset of like, am I contributing to something good or bad? <laughs> you know, and I definitely think about this in in our work as content creators and influencers. As I'm wondering, like, am I part of this weird system of addiction to social media? Certainly, I've played a role in that. You know, like I've been studying social media strategy for at least ten years, mm-hmm. and. All of those strategies are based around capturing people's attention. And when you study things like documentaries or read books, as Jason and I love to do, we realize how we're, we're kind of adding to the addiction. And I think that also keeps me up at night sometimes. And now, or I should say recently, my brain has been very focused on like, how can I use social media for good and not just to make money? In fact, this even came up in our episode with Tony and Michelle, which comes out. Is that, I think that's a, this Friday's episode. It is this Friday's episode. So definitely a good reason to subscribe to this podcast for you, the listener, if you haven't yet, because that way you'll be notified when we have new episodes. And Friday's episode is about kindness and being friendly and things like social media. And one thing that got kind of heated in that discussion was whether or not we should be using social media as like our job and our career and to make money versus using social media truly from an authentic standpoint. And that's a really tough thing to do. I think that word authenticity has even been turned into a trendy marketing word. And so that makes it even harder. And going to kind of to what you were saying, Jason, the we're blurring a lot of the lines with technology and all these tools that we have which are very convenient to us but at what cost and you've even brought this up i, I forget which episode it was jason but you were talking about using analog versus all this digital stuff and how i kind of noticed i really really enjoy technology i always have as a little kid i was just like so fascinated by computers and i worked for apple for many years and got to see the developments that that company made and I still watch it. And now I have a Tesla and it's like, so tech, you know, and it's exciting and it, it activates something in me and I'm sure it activates something in a lot of people, but at what cost, you know, what cost are we, what are we trading for all this convenience? And in fact, actually a really great point to consider is from this book, do nothing By her name, first name is Celeste. I can't remember what her last name is. I love that book so much. And one of her big points is that technology doesn't always help us. And she brings up this example of the microwave. And how you would think a microwave is going to save you time. But actually, if you look at some of the research, all of this technology actually ends up creating less time for us because we have this whole society that's like obsessed with productivity and efficiency and hustle, as we've talked about in so many episodes of the show. And we're not actually saving that much time. In fact, we have such a huge issue of deficit now where we don't feel like we have enough time and yet we have all this Technology. So yet, what is the point of all this technology if it's not saving us time? I'm curious on your thoughts, Jason. And then I want to come back to that article about Zoom fatigue and existential challenges.
1: Yeah, you know, I have kind of a new framework on this. That interestingly enough, I also want to bring up a book and just read a little bit, but also talk about my experience with something I, I read recently. I've had this feeling, Whitney, not necessarily about technology saving time per se, but more about the creative. Vapidness that I have felt with social media for a long time, and how there's just kind of this this low effort high reward idea of really engaging with social media that everything technology's quote made things easier it's made it easier to take your photos and edit your photos and it's made it easier to shoot a video and edit it right on your smartphone it's made it easier to fill in the blank right There's a million things, but in terms of artistry or creating things. I think there's an alternate perspective that when I read it, I was like, oh, this kind of is close to how I've been feeling about some of the vapidness about this quick fix, just put out a bunch of content and see what sticks. You know, like it's all about volume, it's not about quality. There's a lot of people that think this way. And this book I mentioned on a previous episode called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, he's got a section in this chapter where he talks about a dude, a dude, it's so funny. Talks about a guy named Matthew Crawford who has a PhD in political philosophy from the University of Chicago. And he worked in all these think tanks and political realms. And then after years, he quit to become a motorcycle mechanic. Like That's pretty rad. I love motorcycles. I'm a huge fan. I have a motorcycle. And now he creates bikes and fixes bikes and does custom fabrication. But he talks about his vantage point from someone who was immersed in the digital space and now spends his time working physically on a motorcycle, right? He go- went from you know staring at computers, social media, government think tanks, to now he uses his hands every day. And there's a lot here. If you want to check out this book, we will link to it in the show notes, but I just want to talk about a little bit of it. He kind of eloquently describes the unique satisfaction of physically working on a craft, right? Not, you know, anybody can take a photo on social media and post it and get a bunch of likes, something that takes time to develop and learn and become skillful at, right? So he said that you know these physical things seem to relieve him of the need to offer chattering interpretations of himself to vindicate his worth. He can simply point to something. The building stands, the car running, the motorcycle running, the lights are on in the house. He built something. Boasting is what a boy does, and it has no real effect in the world. But craftsmanship and learning a craft must reckon with the infallible judgment of reality where one's failures or shortcomings cannot be interpreted away. And just a tiny bit more, in a culture where screens replaced craftsmanship, he argues that people lose the outlet for self-worth established through unambiguous demonstrations of learned skill. And one way to explain the uh, exploding popularity of social media in recent years is that they offer a substitute source of aggrandizement in the absence of something like a well-built wood bench or an applause at a musical performance. Or something you've created physically, you can instead post to a photo of your latest visit to a hip restaurant, hoping for more likes, or desperately recheck for retweets of a a clever quip. But as he implies, these digital cries for attention are often a poor substitute for the recognition generated by an actual craft, as they're not backed by the hard-won skill required to tame the infallible judgment of physical reality, and instead... These attempts on social media come across as the shallow boasts of children. He allows an escape from this shallowness and provides instead a deeper source of pride through learning an actual craft. All of this is to say, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I didn't expect it to, wit, because it's like technology has almost made things so easy now, you barely have to learn how to do anything. You, you may disagree with me on this, but you know- with the new iPhone that's coming out, the 12, it like, it's got like 12 megapixels and four cameras and all these zoom and all these editing features. And, you know, I talked to friends of mine, photographers who grew up years ago, learning photography and working in a dark room and learning the art of photography. And now it's just like, yeah, anybody can just buy an iPhone and you got all these filters and all these things. I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing fully, but I think we've lost the art of craft and lost the art of struggling and lost the art of learning something over a long period of time and becoming masterful at it because everyone wants to be good at something from the get-go. And if I may, at the end of this rant, I think that's why a lot of people give up on quote hard things now is we're so used to, to shit being so easy and technology's made it so easy that used, things used to be hard that when people are actually confronted with a challenge or learning something difficult, or something that takes years to master, they're like, fuck it, I'm done. I don't want to do this. They give up too easily. I think that's the downside to, to technology is people, people give up on hard shit too easily now.
0: Yeah, it's certainly fascinating. And I think there's so much to consider. And I, I think that I hope there's going to be a wave of people being more mindful. But there's such a tempting draw to this promise of social media and the rewards that we get through social media and how it feels like a form of escape. And of so much of social media is triggering our desires for validation and Kind of waving that carrot in front of our face of like, you just do this, you're going to get all the approval you want and all the money you want. And we've talked about this so much on our show. It's, it's continuously interesting to me because I examine my own role with social media and the temptations of it, as well as how other people interact with it personally and professionally and i'm curious to see where things are going to go and we we don't we just don't know and it's definitely interesting in terms of what how much things have changed during covid or as a result of covid in this pandemic of us staying at home and coming back to this article about zoom fatigue which is pretty interesting actually i haven't read it yet so i'm going to read this in real time One of the questions of this article is, is it an issue of too much screen time and feeling like we're forced to sit at our desk? A lot of employers are now setting tracking on the computer to see if people are active, at their computer because that's part of how they track their hours which is also really weird to me especially since I've been working for myself and freelancing for 10 years now this idea of like being tracked by an employer just to track hours it, it's kind of creepy you know and and actually in that book do nothing that I mentioned earlier the author Celeste talks a lot about the history of working by the hour and I find it so much more like mentally stable for me to take on clients and gigs that are not about my hourly rate, but are about my project rate, you know, and being paid differently than by the hour because a lot of these people are now having... This stress of feeling like they have to constantly be moving their mouse around on their computer because that's how their company tracks their time. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like your effort is really not that tied to how much time you sit there and how many employees are, are doing the opposite. And I I certainly did too. When I was working full time, a 40 hour a week job, most of the time was kind of wasted. I probably only had a few hours of productivity at max. During that time, even when I worked retail at the Apple store, I would just look for anything to pass the time. And sometimes I just did not want to interact with customers. And it was kind of this joke where the other employees and I would find ways to like dilly dally in the back room so we didn't have to be out on the floor, and how our managers would always be like requiring us to do certain things that weren't even. Of much purpose, but that was how the com- company operated, at least during the time I was employed. And all these other jobs that I've had over the years where you're clocking in, and as long as you're there from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., like that's all that matters. And like as long as you get something done that's on deadline, that's what matters. But if you could accomplish all that work in an hour or two, then why do you actually need to be that active from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m.? And the same thing is actually happening for children or anyone else in school where they're doing online learning. I mean, gosh, I, my heart goes out to them because I have done some online classes over the years and it's just not the same. And some people are wondering if their nervous systems are being flooded with the fear of trying to learn a certain way, feeling confused by, by that form of education, having their attention pulled in all these different directions when they're at home or online? And are our brains actually even set up for this? Can we really focus in the way that benefits us if we are so focused on the time and less on the task? You know, And I think time is a, another big thing This comes up in this article as well is that a lot of us have kind of lost our sense of progression in our life because our routines are so different. And going back to the initial topic of this episode with the holidays, you know, that's usually a huge marker. It's like as soon as it turns fall, we start thinking about Halloween and Thanksgiving. And people are even talking about Christmas already, you know, in that holiday season. Even if you don't celebrate Christmas in the United States, Christmas is such a big part of this country that you can still enjoy the Christmas trees and decorations and all of that stuff. And And we're kind of yearning for that, but what's going to happen when these holidays hit and they're just not the same? And I I think that sense of time is becoming harder and harder. And then going to what you're saying, Jason, about this doom mentality. (laughs) In this article, they refer to that as doom scrolling, where we are kind of constantly being broadcast trauma and panic and A lot of people feel like their only way to control their relationship with that is to consume more and more of it, which is really interesting. The article also talks about how we feel like this constant desire to keep busy, which goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, is any of this technology saving us time? It's really not. And all of our work systems are... Well, not all of them, but many of them are designed around productivity. And we feel like... If we don't maximize every hour, then we're wasting our life. If we don't spend every free moment doing something, improving ourselves, upgrading, optimizing, learning something new, as we've talked about, again, many times on this show, the hustle culture, I think it's just so incredibly exhausting. A few other points to this article before I hear some of your thoughts again, Jason. Another question in it, and this article is basically just full of questions, which you can see if you decide to read this. <laughs> as a reminder, this will be linked in our show notes if you're curious about this article. Another question is, are we just getting used to the new normal? Or are we disgusted by our own capacity to gradually sink into passive, apathetic acceptance as our work days become longer, our sense of time unravels? Just reading this line makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, this sounds horrible. Are we doing okay, all things considered? Which is put it in quotes because I feel like that's kind of like a cliche thing to say. And I found myself saying that. Like, someone's like, how are you? And you're like, well, all things considered, I'm doing pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) And then the alternative to that is, are we not giving ourselves the freedom to let negative emotions come out? Are we afraid to let our employers and our friends see how all of this trauma has gotten to us? Are we afraid to show the cracks in our proverbial masks, whether that's on social media or in our workplaces? Are we afraid for our productivity to drop? Otherwise, maybe we'll be fired and we'll lose that financial comfort that we have. And lastly, the article asked, are these uncertain times, or have we lost all hope for the future or even the ability to imagine a future and no longer have the emotional and psychological lifeline that having something to look forward to can provide? Only the desperate desire to not be among the people who will suffer the most. And I think that kind of comes back to your to, well, some of the things that you said earlier, Jason, but also this. Idea around the holidays is Are the holidays our psychological lifeline? Because there's something to look forward to. You know, what is going to happen after the holidays this year? What happens January 1st if we're still knee deep in this pandemic or, or worse, and we don't feel like we have anything to look forward to? I mean, right now, at the time we're recording this, we we feel like there's so much to look forward to because of Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and on and on all these holidays that we have. But come January first, like what do New Year's resolutions even look like anymore? And what will twenty twenty-one feel like? You know, I think a lot of people have this desire to get twenty twenty over with as if when the clock strikes twelve on twenty twenty one that it'll all be done. But as I said earlier, people are now starting to cancel events. I mean, an event that you and I were looking forward to in January has been canceled. Many events have been moved to May and summer 2021. So what happens between that time from January to June or January to May? How do we even get through those months if we don't have these holidays to look forward to? And just sharing this I'm curious if you even thought about this, Jason, or if the listener has either. And I certainly don't want to put this on a a bad note, but I think it's important for us because I bet you depression is going to be pretty high come January 1st.
1: Yeah, I would have to 100% agree. And I think for me, Whitney, as someone who has struggled with clinical depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, talked about a lot on this podcast, you know, I'm practicing the balance mentally of being hopeful for things, but releasing expectation of whether or not they're even going to happen or how they may happen. And an example of this, you mentioned, you know, the new years, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of people that are so mentally wired to think that on January 1st, 2021, it's the proverbial reset button on their life. Fresh start, get to set some new resolutions. Everyone's going to crush it this year. Hashtag this is my year, all that cliche shit. But I think for me, I can only speak from my experience. You know, I have to laugh because every single year I refresh my vision board, my office. I set five new high level intentions of what I want to experience or what I want to do every year. And some years, nail those five things. Other years, I don't. Like this year, for example, uh, I'm not in my home office right now because I'm at my mom's office at her house in Detroit. But I think what was on the list for 2020, Again, like these aims for, for the year were travel to Japan. Clearly did not happen. Pay off all my debt. I paid off some, but not all, not even close. Buy my first electric car. Nope. Save a down payment for a house. I actually, in interestingly enough, I do have a growing nest egg set aside. I know I'm very, very fortunate to do that. Like I haven't had my savings account be dinged that much. And that's just a God, it's it's a blessing beyond. So don't have a house yet, but getting closer to the down payment. There were things like that, right? And none of them really happened. It was like, nope. I looked at it and the other day I just laughed because I'm like, I had all these intentions, all these aims for the year and none of them came true. None of them came to fruition and that's okay. And I think that if we have a sense of hopefulness that everything is cyclical. If we look at the nature of reality, everything is temporary. Good feelings are temporary. Bad feelings are temporary. This pandemic is temporary. That We don't know how long it's going to last, but it's going to be temporary. Everything is temporal. That is the nature of the reality we're in. And to remind ourselves of that, that at least gives me comfort. And to know that the good things won't last, the bad things won't last, and every gray area in between won't last. You know, This too shall pass. And I think also you know, taking it with a grain of salt, like Am I going to set any of the typical intentions I might set for 2021? I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I think my intent is that I want to be as connected to the present moment and respond with love, compassion, empathy, and righteous action to whatever is right in front of me. Right, And, and in those moments of anxiety, Whitney, those moments of depression, those moments where I read when I start to doom scroll, I've fucking doom scrolled. Oh, hell yeah. It's like th- there's this desire for certainty. Well, if I know what's going on, I'll be safer. If I just know the threats that are coming, we can't possibly predict it. So, in those moments, if I'm just paying attention to what's right in front of me, right? Just taking inventory of what's literally right in front of me and being super connected to the present moment, those, to me, that's been an antidote to existential dread. It's been an antidote to doom scrolling. It's been an antidote to being too attached to the outcome of things, right? We have no idea what January 1st is going to look like. We have no idea what 10 minutes from now is going to look like. Like That's just reality. So I think if we let go of expectation, we let go of demanding that life, give us what we want, the way we want it, when we want it. I think on a spiritual level, this whole situation this year has taught us, we don't know shit. We can't predict a goddamn thing. And if we have expectations, they're going to cause us a hell of a lot of pain. That's how I feel about it. On a lighter, brighter note, (laughs) we have some brand shout outs, Whitney. I have a few that I need to sort through in my mind. So I want to pass the baton to you. Is there something top of mind, top of heart for you that you want to give some love to right now?
0: Very much so. In fact, this has been months in the making. Actually, (laughs) Pre-COVID, this brand sent me... Or well, no, I take that back. I'm looking at the timeline in my... I love that I said I'm looking at the timeline in my head. (laughs) It's like I'm projecting my thoughts onto the wall in front of me. Back in March 2020, this brand called Trey Steak reached out to me about their amazing vegan makeup. And I got really excited about it, as I'll I'll tell you how great this product is. And then uh, they sent it to me in June during the pandemic. And I have barely worn makeup since March. I'm not usually a big makeup wearer. I don't really get excited about wearing makeup. I kind of put it on because I feel like I have to. And uh, typically, the times that I'll put on makeup are for events. And I remember when they reached out, I was like thinking about all the stuff I was going to be doing in 2020. And very little of those things have even happened. But I still find times where I want to put on makeup. A great example is Zoom. Sometimes it's nice to put makeup on for certain Zoom meetings. For instance, when I did my project with Mad Tasty, I wanted to put some makeup on. I wanted to feel like I looked pretty and professional. So I've done that from a a number of different webinars. And I've put on makeup sometimes when I go out just to feel normal, I suppose. (laughs) You know, like even if I don't feel like I need to dress up for something like the grocery store, sometimes it just feels nice to put on some makeup. And each woman has different relationships with makeup, sometimes for social media photos, although I'm doing that less and less. I'm really a big fan of not wearing makeup or using filters of my, on my face for social media. However, your relationship is with makeup, I think a lot of women enjoy it. And another tie-in for Trasteek is their brand is actually incredible for travel because they have these full-size vegan makeup products that are two-in-one. So they have built-in applicators that you can twist off of the bottom and they you can get these this handy little pouch to put them in. And they're also all magnetic, so they will kind of clip together Into a little bag, and they have this product called the Essential Eight that's designed to make it take only five minutes to apply. So, all of these things considered was like perfect for someone like me who doesn't want to have a lot of products, who wants something that's easy. I hate opening up my makeup drawer and having like all this stuff in there. Like, I'm very basic when it comes to makeup as well. And that idea of it only taking a few minutes to apply is perfect for me. I also really like Tracee because they are very natural looking. Like I don't feel like the products in that Essential Eight, which I'll, I'll list out for you, which ones I have, because you—it's actually really cool too because you can customize it. But the products that I I customized are very light on the face. It's not like I'm caking a ton of makeup. So you get to go on and customize it and they give you these eight things. So uh, you can choose uh, a tinted face stick. So they let you choose what color you want. So I got one that's like more of a bronzer, but you can go like light to dark. You get to choose a concealer after that. So you can choose the shade that works for you. And then you can choose either a blush or a highlighter or a bronzer. Ooh, actually this must've been what I got. So I got a bronzer and the, oh, the tinted face stick is the foundation. I got that confused. So that, that one actually is very light. It doesn't look like you have a ton of foundation on. So it kind of to me looks more like you're not wearing any makeup and I I prefer that look. So anyways, you get to this third section where you can choose a blush, a highlighter, or a bronzer. And I typically like to have all three, but in this case I chose the bronzer because that's like a little bit more of my favorite thing to go with. Then you get to choose a lip crayon and you can choose from like a matte look. Which I think is the one that I went with. And then you get to choose an eyeshadow. And that one's really nice. It's really pretty. The one that I got has like this shimmery appearance to it. In fact, actually, I think they all have shimmer, but they're different shades. Mine's like a pinkish. Then they have an eye pencil. And I got a brown, but you could get black if you like. They also came with a brow pencil, which I'm not that into. But if you're really into doing your brows, <laughs> you know what's really funny? Looking at this, I think that there's an applicator that I've never discovered on this. But looking at the photo on the Trasteek website, which I encourage you to check out if this sounds appealing to you, well, of course, we'll link to it at wellevator.com. I think there's a brush at the bottom of that pencil that I've never twisted off. Because like, one of the cool things about Trasteek is they look so compact, if you don't like play around with them or you didn't see the pictures, like in this case, I've never looked at this before, a picture, I guess. You probably wouldn't even know the applicator is there. So once we're done recording, I'm going to go check mine. And one of the coolest products they have is an all-in-one lash curler and mascara. And that's really neat. You, you have to go check out the photo of it to see how that works. And last but not least, you get this cool little bag and it has a mirror built into it. You can choose your color and the bag is made from recycled plastic bottles. So it's really a neat brand overall, eco-friendly, sustainable, vegan, really high quality. It's not super cheap, but as Jason likes to say, you pay with your purse or you pay with your person. I've had these products since I think June when they sent them to me and I use them off and on. I really loved using them on my road trip. So I think if you're going to travel at all this year, next year, a product like this is great. If you're someone that likes a really essential kit, but not a ton, just enough, that allows you to do your makeup really quickly and have it all compact. This is a really great choice. And of course, if you want something that's made mindfully, cruelty-free, vegan, they have just been awesome overall and it's taken me a long time to talk about them because I wanted to find the right episode to mention them. So... That's Tracee and my brand shout out. So, Jason, what's your favorite makeup product?
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've been known to wear eyeliner. I've Been known to wear eyeliner over the years, not just at Halloween. But I am a big fan of eyeliner. I pride myself on being a somewhat androgynous person, so big fan of eyeliner. Don't have a favorite brand, but I do love me some eyeliner. My favorite brand that I want to shout out today is related to mental health. It's a brand called Very Everyday. It's spelled V R Y. Every day. And my friend Rinda started this company about three years ago, which are mood balancing supplements for mental health and well-being. They are encapsulated amino acids combined with super herbs, minerals, and vitamin cofactors. They're non-GMO, they're vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, super high quality ingredients. And I met her actually with when we were at the Wellspring conference in Palm Springs. And so I've been taking these supplements for two years now, because that was fall of 2018. And she has some really cool curated formulas. So she has a, and I've tried all her formulas, by the way, they're amazing. The rest well formula, which is designed to help you sleep at night and feel relaxed. She has a serenity formula. Which is to help you feel calm, uh, boost your GABA and serotonin neurotransmitters, pink cloud, which is to help you feel happy, dopamine, which is to help you with your dopamine levels to help you feel alive, and then uh, glutamine, which is to feel balanced. So she has curated formulas to help you unlock specific feelings because the whole purpose of neurotransmitters, which are the chemical messengers in our brain, are to create action potentials, which means basically, depending on your neurotransmitter levels in your brain, they will regulate your emotions in your mood. So I love their formulas. They're incredibly clean. I know a lot of touring musicians that aren't touring right now, but a lot of artists who've struggled with mental health have been taking these supplements, myself included. I just really, really love the quality. I love the way they make me feel. Within about two weeks of taking them, I started to notice a difference with my feelings and emotions and mental health. So check them out. We're going to link to them in the show notes at WellEvator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I believe we will have a discount code. I'm going to find Rinda and see if we can get you guys a 10% discount on this So check out Viri every day, try them out. Again, I've had them for two years on my shelf and I absolutely adore this brand. So if you want to improve your mood, try these out and put them in your supplement routine. And also they were part of our launch party for This Might Get Uncomfortable. We had an amazing launch party way back, way back in December of 2019 at the Jeeva Mukti Yoga Center in downtown LA. And they were part of our really wonderfully curated swag bags there. So uh, anybody who is at that launch party, you have tried them out. But we just love Rinda. We love her product. And we really encourage you to try it if you want to try and improve your mental and emotional wellness, which are the building blocks of this entire podcast. So with that, Whitney, I think we're at the end of this one. For you, dear listener, if it is your first time joining us, thank you. If it is you know, part of your longtime listenership, we would appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. That's one of the things that help us keep going. We have some really, really wonderful reviews on there. So if you haven't listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a review. Of course, we love five stars and we love pejorative adjectives and you showering us with love. So if you're digging it, leave us a review. And if you want to reach us directly, you can email us at hello at wellevator.com, or you can visit us on any of our social media platforms at Wellevator on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all the biggies. We are there sharing love, sharing inspiration and all that good stuff. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Stay safe, stay sane, and keep spreading the love.
0: Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W E L L E V A T R.com.